Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We are excited to welcome you to our authority series. We will be talking about the contents of our mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. So you guys, you know, we're building up to a series on spiritual authority and the, the authority of a believer, and we're actually already in it. We're already starting by preparation. I don't know about you, but I like to do some do-it-yourself stuff around the house sometimes. I've been painting a dresser for my newest little granddaughter, Violet. And it takes forever to get it done, but the main thing you have to do is prep work. If you do your prep work, you know, the rest of it comes easy. Everybody just wants to throw the paint on. But if you forgot to sand, you're going to have a lot of bumps and a lot of mess along the way that you wouldn't have to have if you did a little extra prep. So that's what this is. This is prep work. A couple weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the the Bible and the authenticity of it and, you know, just the severity of it. Is that the right word? Does anybody believe it anymore? And we do, and we apply it to our lives. And then a couple weeks you know, ago also, we talked about our words and the way that we speak and that it matters how we're talking and what we're saying. And, and why do we say all of that in a spiritual authority series? Because it matters how we conduct ourselves. It matters what we say. It matters how we take the word and apply it to our lives. We're not just Christian by title. I mean, many of us are. And that's what we're trying to turn. We're trying to change that, that you understand that just the pastor isn't the minister. All of us are the ministers. We have the ministry of reconciliation wrought on the inside because of the cross of Jesus, because of the work that he did here. We are ministers, every single one of us. So I'm telling you all that because today I want to talk about our thought lives, ordering the thought life of a believer and a leader. What does that look like and how do we do that? And so I titled this thing something kind of fun. It's, it's mind, mood, attitude, you know. All the things that are in here that well, your attitude can be seen. But it's, I'm talking about the internal one, the one that you have about things that you do and things that you say and places that you go, people that you spend your time with. What is your attitude toward them? What, what mood do you allow yourself to linger in? And what kind of thoughts are in your life? And so I just wanted to start with a couple questions. I like to do that. I think it's thought-provoking and... Sometimes the way we take notes here, you guys, I, I see you sometimes, you'll just take a screenshot and then ponder it later. But sometimes when we have questions, I want you to take, get your phone out and write it down and, and then ask the Holy Spirit about it in the days ahead. So this is kind of like tongue-in-cheek the way I'm saying it, kind of, kind of just making fun a little bit. But have you ever had like a bad boss in your life? Have you ever had a bad teacher or a bad parent? Bad, my kids better not raise their hands, but bad parent, bad husband, you know, bad wife. I mean, bad friend, you know, someone who's always condescending, never wrong, you know, always has to have their way or no way. And and you still stick by them because you're the faithful friend and the loyal friend. You know, anybody anybody have that besides me? Have you ever, have you ever been the bad boss or been the bad friend or the bad husband or the bad parent? I mean, we have. It's part of our humanity. It's, it's who we are. Have you ever let your mind just like run amok with thoughts? You know, just like one negative thought after another and one critical 
observation after another, and some of us even have expletives flying around in there, you know, just, you know, and it's all just like, it goes like a wild, like, freight train. That's why they call it a train of thought. It starts with the engine, and then there's a car, and a car, and another car, and another car, and another car, and another car, and you have to stop that thing. We have to stop the negative thoughts from just flying in there, you know, and, and taking over the way that we think, but I've done it too. And if you do it long enough and you let that train of thought keep coming through your mind, you can end up in a funk of depression and in a world of just living your life one day after another, living the same day over and over again and just like negativity. And if I were going to ask you a question, like if you put out the whole calendar last year and you had to go through and make a check mark every day, well, I was, this was a sad day or this was a happy day. Okay, sad is going to be depressed, angry, you know, temper, or numb. You didn't feel anything. All of those are in the same category. Or did you have a happy day, a glad day, a day that you could celebrate, a day that felt good, like you were alive? And how many days are winning? Because as Christians, there should be a lot of check marks and a lot of boxes that are with a positive attitude, with good mental clarity, that are healthy, happy days. You know, and, and not, not rainbows and unicorns. We don't, that's not how we think around here. We live in the real world with real circumstances and real things, but I'm just, I want to explain a little bit about the mind and a little bit about our internal thinking and our thought life. So your mind, if you think about it, you know, there were so many images I could have pulled up, but I'm so sick of the internet, actually. But just, that's another story for another day and maybe a little bit later in the message, too, just the way the internet runs our, you know, our lives and our days. I, I'm getting over it really quickly, but, but I saw a lot of images, you know, where there's a big, a big like head, and then it shows the brain like blowing away with leaves, like leaves on a tree. You know, sometimes your mind is just like that; it just flies away into oblivion. And and there are other images with like the light bulb. You know, that's like the oldest one I could ever imagine seeing in my life—a a big head with a light bulb in it. Bing! I got an idea, right? So think of your mind. It's just like this beautiful garden of a place where thoughts are born. Because your thoughts are born right there in your mind. And where do your thoughts come from? I mean, I'm going to propose that your thoughts come from God or the devil or yourself. Now, modern psychology is going to say that all of your thoughts come from yourself. But I beg to differ because I live in a world where I see the supernatural. And I observe it and I acknowledge it. And I trust that God is speaking to me all the time. Now, can the devil read my mind? No, and that's not what I said. I said he can plop a thought in there. You know, you can put a ring of a ring of prayer, a bloodline around yourself and be in the middle of it. And the and demons and the devil can still stand outside and try to lob something through the fire to get to you. You know, they can throw an idea in there, but it can't stay unless you linger and let it. Okay? So your mind, the place where your thoughts are born. Born. Is that a word? The place where your thoughts are born. Um, and I want to talk about it because what we believe and what we think about ourselves especially, that's who we are. What you believe about yourself right now is actually who you are. Do you believe that you're a failure? Do you believe that you're a success? Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that God loves everybody else but you? What do you believe? Because what you believe and what you think on, we can't see that per se. Although over time, I could probably tell you what you think about a lot of the time, by the way you live your life. But I can't read your mind, and I don't know what you're thinking about, but you do. And what you believe about you is going to matter. There was a 
there was a commercial back in the day with Cher. And Cher, you know, she's like 100 now. But she had a commercial representing Vic Tanny and working out. And it's like the, the camera scans her body, and she says, if, if it came in a bottle, everybody would have a beautiful body. Except it was Cher, so it was more like, if it came in a bottle, everybody. And what she really meant to say was, if it came on a surgery table, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But the whole idea is, it doesn't come in a bottle. It comes from discipline. And it comes from hard work, you know. I've been watching my friend Christine exercise and eat right this last year. I can tell, man, you look great. You're looking so good. Keep going. I love it. And it's because you value yourself, and it's discipline. And it didn't come in a bottle, did it? No. It came in hard work. But you know where it really came from? It came from a book. It came from the Bible that began to bring identity and to identify her as who she was so she could stand up and make that happen. It's the same for us. We can aspire to become who God says that we are if we believe it and we let it come on the inside and we practice it. We can flourish in who God says we are, but ultimately it's what we believe about ourselves that's going to determine where we go and what we do, all right? So here's something I want you to assess about yourself. There's a couple of these in this message today. Compare the condition of your house, and if you don't have your own house but you have a room or somewhere that you sleep, look at, think in your mind the condition of it. Because psychology, and this is modern psychology as well, teaches us that if your home and your area that you live is cluttered, your mind is cluttered. If your car is cluttered, I'm not picking on anybody specific, okay? I didn't even say it. Okay, I'm not even looking. So if your car is like that, your mind is like that. And here's the thing. This isn't a negative or dig on anybody. It's just an observation that you assess. You assess you, okay? When your house is cluttered like that and your car is messy like that, your mind is like that. I'm, I'm the same way. I don't really function very well if I've got a sink full of dishes and if I haven't swept through and I've got a mound of laundry. How do I know that? Because I've had a sink full of dishes and a mound of laundry and my house hasn't been swept through. I live in the real world too. But I find that whenever things are in order and dishes are done and there's good food on the stove and I've got good people that I love around me and I flourish in that environment and you will too. So the idea is little by little, clean it up, declutter the area around you and you're going to find that your mind is going to follow, okay? That's just one, one little click of health that you can move towards. So your thoughts, the place where thoughts are born, good or bad, the place where thoughts linger, your mind your thoughts become things. Remember that. Your thoughts become things. You become what you behold. And your mind is a wheelhouse of creativity. And this is the place that I believe that God wants to speak life to us and open our mind that we have the mind of Christ. You know, the Bible says that, that we have the mind of Christ. I was going to read a little bit of it for context for us this morning. But I think what it, a better way to say it, not that I can say it better than the Bible, but I think what the author means is we have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to think like he thinks and to believe what he believes and to understand what he's saying, okay? Would you stand up with me while we read? We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 2, and I'll start in, I'm just going to read it to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in my weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain, 
Rather than using clever, persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not human wisdom, but the power of God. Let's skip down a little bit to like verse 9. When the scripture says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, this is what Paul is banking on here, but it was to teach us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For God's spirit, his spirit, searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. You still tracking with me? Okay. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Here it is. Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Okay, you can sit down. I love the Orbit gum commercials when they say, dirty mouth, clean it up. And they put in the gum, and everything gets fresh and sparkly. I love it. It keeps coming to me. Same thing with your mind. Dirty mind, ding, clean it up. Okay, that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to be able to have insight, to understand the things of the Spirit, that we might understand the mind of God. You might, that you sitting there might understand the mind of God. That doesn't like blow your mind and your thoughts. You know, do you ever, I started to put a video out this week and I didn't do it. I just couldn't get past it sounding, you know, condescending. And I'm not, it's not. But do you ever have a time where you have a question and you think, was that me or God? You have a thought like, you're like, was that my thought or was that God speaking that to me? And I'm just like, wow. You know, when people tell me that, I know they're serious, but I have a little thought. I, I have, man, you must have a really high opinion of yourself if you're confusing your thoughts with God's thoughts, you know, because here's how you can figure it out. If it's good, it's God. And if it's not, it's bad. And yeah, sometimes you just have your own thought, but if it's something powerful and good and lofty, something that's going to motivate you beyond something you would normally do, it's probably him because he wants to speak to us all the time. And he is speaking to us all the time. Whew. How do you see yourself? The book of Proverbs teaches us that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You know, people can come and act a certain way. And in this, in this proverb scripture, this is the background for it. People can act a certain way to your face, but as they think in their heart is how they are, is what it's saying. They can be saying something really sweet to your face, but in their heart, they, they don't like you. They might despise you. That's what the scripture is saying. We use it kind of in the context of what you believe about yourself is who you're going to be. And I like that too. And I, I think that holds water. And the reason we're, we're talking about that scripture at all And that thought is because a battle, an outcome, is determined in your mind before it ever happens. The battle is already won or lost in your mentality and in your thought life before you ever draw one sword. Amen, Lisa. That's right. That's good. I'm feeling it. Okay, the second thing besides your mind, I want to talk about your mood. 
Did you ever hang around moody people? Man, they're not fun. You know, I used to be a moody person, just very moody in, in my early, early life. And I know that circumstances largely determine moods. I get that. But man, I was so just, someone would say something and it would just set me off, you know. And I would go and tell everybody until somebody got on my side with it. And I would just be like so angry and, and can you believe that, you know, and just, and just looking for someone to validate my own pain and my own existence and just the absurdity that someone wouldn't like me. Now I don't care because I like me, you know. So it's a different, different world. But I remember those days and I remember how hard it was, you know. I remember somebody would just complain or, you know, somebody would leave the church even just as, as early as just a few years back. Somebody would leave the church and I would just think about it all the time. What did I do wrong? And just let it reel over and over, let it play like a reel over in my head over and over again. And it would just lead to like a bad mood. And then a couple days of a bad mood. And then what somebody else is doing is affecting the way I'm living my life. It's just not the way that God intended for it. So what, it, what happens? You have to yield your thoughts and your mood and your thinking back to God. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside to deal with you and mess with you. I, I think sometimes God lets us go through those hard days and those bad moods and those, just those terrible long seasons to show us the root cause of why we're thinking that way in the first place. And, and what is deep in there that's causing me to get so out of whack when somebody else is acting thusly? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I know. Everybody has sad days. It's true. I, we can't just, like, wish that away. That's not even reality. Well, I just hope I never have a bad day. Well, that's a false hope. You are going to have bad days because you live in the world, you know? You are going to have times that are difficult, and you are going to have seasons of mourning. Man, I'm very familiar with that right now, you know? I'm going, still tracking in the wake of my sister's death, and I'll be just clicking along, having just a great day, and all of a sudden, it'll, I'll just want to call her. I want to send her a picture or something, then I'm like, <laughs> You know, and I go back into it. I understand it. There are seasons of grieving. There are times of mourning. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a normal response to a situation. I'm talking about when you allow yourself to stay in a bad, ugly mood just because you feel like it. That has to be surrendered to God. It's not godly. It doesn't please God for us to go around pouting. It doesn't please God for our faces to be, you know, you know that's not pleasing to God. For us to walk around grumpy and short-tempered and with our will just because we can, you know? And if you have friends that stick with you like that, man, you have some good friends. And you better clean that stuff up because they may not be there forever. Especially you start hearing a message like this. We start speaking about value and we start speaking about the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. So we're daring to live in it. So our mood should reflect the glory of God in our lives. When we walk around in our day-to-day -day lives, it's not like we should just walk around and act like fools and, and imbeciles and throw confetti around everywhere that we go, you know, that's crazy. But we should have some kind of lightheartedness about us that, that when people look at our lives, they observe that we're born of the Spirit of God, that we have a life worth emulating, that we're following after Jesus. Thanks, Angie. Man, I think sometimes we think it's everything around us that, that makes us you know, in a bad mood, but really it's how we respond to it. It has a lot more to do with our response than what's actually going on. And sometimes if we'll stop and take a look, it's what's going on inside of us. And all those things have to be surrendered to God. 
So outside of the conditions that we just described, you know, like when you have a grieving process, if you, if you live in a situation where you're constantly abused, if you live, you know, live in a thing where you're constantly, you know, uh, people are being condescending or there's always a devaluing, you always have negative words spoken over you, that kind of stuff, that's going to set you in a, in a course for where you probably need some kind of therapy, you know, to find your way back to, to health or find your, find your study in the Bible because God can definitely heal your mind. But when you've lived in an abusive situation for a long time, sometimes it takes therapy. There's no shame in that. If, you know, it's like if God meant for a man to fly, he would have given him a brain so he could create an airplane so he could fly. If God meant for your mind to be clear, he would give you a doctor that would understand the way your mind works, that you could work, walk your way through it. If God meant for you to be healthy and whole in your body, maybe some of you have like, um, you know, anxiety disorder. God would give you a doctor that would create some kind of medicine. I'm, I'm not saying everybody go get on drugs. We already have 63-something percent of American people that take some kind of drug for anxiety. And I believe the word is enough. I do. You have to grow to that place, though. And I am an advocate for, for medicine in the meantime, for sure. Why am I saying all that? There are, there are little clauses. There's reasons that we have bad moods. But all of those things are temporal. And if they're ongoing, there has to be some kind of solution. I'm talking about you as the Christian, the everyday person who's following God, who's sitting here in the pew, that doesn't have mental illness, that isn't being abused on a daily basis, that, that isn't you know, caught up in an anxiety and depression state. Your mood is going to determine your altitude and how you're going to have an outlook on life. So, whew, Jesus, I love you so much. The Bible says that what's in your heart comes flying out of your mouth. It says it like this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart. It could say a sad man out of the sad treasure. It could say a perverse man out of the perverse treasure. It could say anything like that. Whatever is inside of you, whatever you're going through is what you're going to talk about. And as much as you set your will to not do it, if it's in there, it will be out here eventually. And that is okay. If we never know what's going on on the inside, how do we ever offer one shred of the word of God back to heal? If we never know what you're going through, how do we ever offer any kind of counsel to bring that wholeness and that healing? Does that make sense? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Set your mood on the good side. Some people say, I just got up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm like, well, go back to bed and try again, you know? There's always a restart. I loved what Stacy said in worship this morning about, you know, God always gives you 24 hours and you get to sleep for, you know, six or eight of them because God wants you to reset in the mercy of God that's new every single day. That's a good, that's a good news, good word. The last thing I want to talk about is attitude. This is the thing that everybody can see. Your mind is yours. We can't see it, but we can see the attitude that's a result of your mind, the result of your thoughts. You ever see somebody come in and, man, I've, man, whew, I'm going to step on some toes. Here's, I'm not trying to, I'm going to tiptoe around it. But here's the thing. I've seen people come in and have just like their shoulders down, eyes down, looking so sad and pathetic. And they just really want you to pay attention to their sadness. And it's like, Bleh! you know, I, and I'll do it. I'll be like, hi, how are you? And I'll hug and I'll be like, I love you. You're made in the image of God. Look at you, you world changer. You know, it's just like sometimes, and some people are so negative. You get in a conversation and you're trying to talk and every positive thing you throw their way, they ping back another negative thing. It's like, 
It's like, you can, do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only person that lives in this reality? You'd be talking to somebody and I'd be like, man, it's such a beautiful sunny day. Well, it's going to rain. You know, it is going to rain. The flowers in the water need rain. Well, I don't have any rain boots. I mean, I don't know. It's just like anything you could say. I'm making this up on the fly. Anything you could bring that's positive, they can hurl back something negative. And I think sometimes we laugh because we're the negative person sometimes. Man, I, I just, I can't stand that. I can't let that get anywhere near me because I see that it's a spiral that just of agony that just takes you down, down, down. You're made in the image of God. It's like, shake all that off, child of God. Stand up really straight. Get your crown right. You were made for such a time as this. Your attitude should reflect the king that you serve. And once you know that, you do walk differently, and you do look differently, and you do talk differently, and you speak differently, and your attitude reflects the goodness of God. Jesus shows us something about attitude better than anyone else. When he kneels down with a towel around his waist and washes the disgusting, grimy feet of his disciples, Jesus carries all authority. Jesus is the most secure leader. He knows his purpose. He understands the fullness of God. And he took off his robe, and he put on a towel, and he got down, and he did the work. That's the attitude of a leader, of a king. That's who we are. God does have mission on this house. I can feel it. I'm feeling it more and more all the time. You know, we have a purpose here. You know, every single one of you sitting in the room, you have a sphere. We talk about this all the time. You're ministers of reconciliation. You have a sphere. And you're a leader in it. And you have to take, like right now, if I could just, if I could just endow you with the blessing of authority, I would do that. And let you go walk in it. Well, maybe. Not most of you. But it's like when you put that kind of mantle on someone, that authority, then you understand when you go to work, that's your pulpit. When you're standing in a line at a grocery store, that's your ministry. People can see you. Are your shoulders slumped or are they, are they back and straight? Are your eyes looking ahead? Because I can tell you this, I have an attitude that wherever I'm at, most of the time, if, I'm, if I go into a room, I trust that God sent me into it. And I'm not looking for someone else to validate me in it. I'm coming to validate you in it because I'm carrying the presence and the power of God everywhere that I go. I can tell you a couple stories. You know, I was remembering this. I was standing in a line at, at Walmart one time, and I just really don't like Walmart that much. I mean, I do. I like Walmart. I'm kind of more of a Target snob, but I, I like Walmart because of the prices. But I'm in line, and here's the thing. I just said that because I have some friends that are big Walmart people, and I just realized that I could get in trouble for that. But anyway, I'm standing in line, and there's this lady, and she's coming at me, and She's, you know, I'm in line. There's like 700 people are in this store, and, and it's a long line. And here comes this lady, black dress, black robe, black hair, black eyeliner, medallions. And she's coming at me, and, and I looked at her, and I was like, oh, I hope you do, you know. And she, she made the weirdest turn. It looked like a little game figure, like a sharp turnaround, and then she went on down. But when she did it, I felt chilly. And I thought, ooh, you 
know, that's weird. I know we talk about spiritual things in here. I mean, you guys probably never had anything like that because you probably aren't a threat to the kingdom of darkness, you know. But once you are, and once you start standing up against principalities and you start to understand who you are, you are going to encounter things like this. Someone said to me a couple weeks ago, every time that we start teaching about these things, everybody and their uncle comes out with some kind of demonic possession. I don't care. That's why we're here. We want to make sure we have a demonstration of power while we're sitting here. We're not afraid of that. Aren't We rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? The devil doesn't have a place here. No authority, right? So this lady comes around, whoosh, 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 and she's gone, and I was like, ooh. And, I'm, and so then I do this little thing where I'm, it's like me and God, and I tuck my little thumb in like this because then I feel like I'm holding my dad's hand, and I'm like, well, what was that? What's going to happen here? Because I'm ready, <laughs> whatever we're going to do. And so she came back around, did the same thing, and I just happened to look up. This time I was kind of reading a tabloid about something unimportant, but I felt that, and I looked over again, and here she came again, and I'm like, and same thing, eye contact, zoop, 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 and she went away. And that, that, that time I said, in the name of Jesus, go on and get out. And she, she's like looking back at me, and I go, yeah, you, you know. God has a spirit of authority that he puts on us. Our attitude reflects who we are in Christ. Another time I'm standing on a street in Columbia, Missouri. I was meeting one of my pastor friends there, and a person came running up <laughs> It's just like bizarre. It'd be like if you're downtown, you know, and you're in a, in a, I mean, it's Columbia. It's not like our downtown. You know, it's not nearly as sketch. But this was a pretty sketch situation. And this man came running out, you know, running up to us. And he's just like, he looked like, you know, he was just maybe got out of the mental hospital. I'm not sure. But he was coming up to us. And he's speaking in tongues almost. And he's, you know, that was, and he's probably from, you know, me to that row. And, you know, I just looked at him. I go, can I help you? And he came right up here to my face. And he's looking at me with all crazy eyes. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And I'm not even kidding. That's all I said in that tone. And he raised his hands and feet and just went running down the street away. I know this sounds crazy. I'm telling you the most extreme things I can think of. There's many, 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 many stories like this that don't have anything to do with the personal application of the people that are in my lives, in my life, that I have helped, the people's lives that I have helped. And it's countless of possession, countless obsession, countless you know, influence of demonic world that we're here to break down in our attitude and what we believe about ourselves and what we think about on the daily and what our thought lives contain of and even the mood that we find ourselves in. All of that matters, okay? Do you believe me? Jesus. Jesus came to Simon, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. I'm telling you this stuff because Jesus had an understanding. In one of these verses, it says he understood that everything was under his power in verse 3. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and he still came with that low attitude and that low disposition. Now, I come from a time where a message like this would set all of our small group leaders on some kind of, you know, I don't know, escapade to actually wash our feet when we came over for a small group. And sometimes that was just weird, I'm not going to lie. You know, sometimes I, I let it happen because I trusted the leadership. So somebody's washing my feet that I barely know, and I'm like, this is weird. You know, 
And, and now that I'm standing here today, I think it was very weird. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make everybody take off your shoes today. Get in line, and I'm going to put on a towel and wash your feet. Metaphorically, guys, okay, what is the equivalent of you donning the towel and washing feet today? What is the equivalent of that? Because everything I just explained in those fanciful conversations, you know, I mean, I could have just called 911 when the bat wing crazy guy was coming at me, you know, but I didn't. I called the name of Jesus. It's washing the feet of my sister who was there who looked a little troubled about that, you know. When you, when you call on the name of Jesus and you offer prayer and you get in the middle of somebody's mess, yeah, you're going to risk rejection. You're going to risk, you know, who cares? Your name is written, you know. It doesn't matter. What if they receive you? What if they receive him? What if your word and your attitude and your mood and the way you think and the way you talk about people, what if, what if that causes somebody to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ? That's powerful. What is the metaphor for you for foot washing today? Don't go home and wash somebody's feet. If you're going to do it, do it for your spouse. It starts there anyway. Maybe your kids. Oh, that's too weird. Don't do it. Another example. There's a man. This is a stellar example of a great leader. It's the landowner, and he has all the land, and he goes out, and he hires people in the morning, and he says, I'm going to pay you this denarii, you know, if you work all day. And then he goes out at noon, and there's still people not working. He puts them in, too. They, they go and work his land. And then it's even late in the day. He gets more people, and they come, and they work his land. And so when it's time to get paid, you know, the people who worked all day in the sun are like me. They're like, hey, I worked all day, and they're getting a denarii. I'm probably going to get more. I'm probably going to get at least two times, maybe three times that. But then whenever it's time, I got the same pay that I agreed on, and then I'm upset. But I was out here in the sun all day. And he comes back with this great answer. What, is, what difference does it make if I'm generous to them? I gave you what I told you I was going to give you. Can you not celebrate alongside? But we're like that. That's a, that's a thinking that we have to get rid of, you know. We have to get rid of the thinking that somebody else might get something that we were going to get. My home is heaven. I don't know about you. This life is a vapor, and I'm passing through it. This life to the next. And one day, we step over the threshold of this world to heaven. That's what I'm longing for and looking for. I'm storing up all my treasure there. You know, I want to celebrate. This whole story of the landowner is really about if someone could come to know God at the end of their lives. What if someone could come to know God at the end of their life and get the same gift of eternal life that you got? Man, that's like, yeah. That's, shout, that's shouting for glory, right? That's a good response. That's who we want to be. And the, the answer is, it's my wealth to do with what I want. And we have to deal with a little thing called sovereignty there maybe. But our heart and our attitude should be, I want that for you. I'll even give you my spot, and then I'll come over here and find another place. Maybe I can promote somebody else that somebody else might understand, or somebody else might have clarity of mind of who God is couple more quick ones. In 1 Peter, it's still about your attitude. 1 Peter, the shepherds of God's flock that is among you, shepherds of God's flock that is among you, watch out over them and not out of compulsion, but because it is God's will, not out of greed, but out of eagerness, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Now, sometimes we read this and we think, hey, that's talking to the pastor. Hey, pastor, be a good shepherd of your flock. Make sure you get the phone when I call. Hey, pastor, whatever I need, you know, hey, pastor, where's that scripture? No, this is speaking to you. 
You are responsible for the flock around you. Look around you in this room. See these people? They're your responsibility. This is your flock. It says, watch over them and don't lord over them if you know something they don't. And don't do it because you're being compelled to do it. There's no compelling going on except for by the Spirit of God. But do it out of eagerness that what you know, someone in this room might know. That you can look at someone's countenance and think, man, I should call them this week. Maybe I should make a connection because while I'm strong, I can bring you a good word. And then maybe when I'm not so strong, you are. And you can come and get my back, right? Mm. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory for that. That'll never fade away. Ephesians 6, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if you're a kid and you say, yeah, Dad, well, obey your parents. Obey your parents like you're supposed to in the things of God, and it'll be well for you and you'll live a long time. Those are just examples of incredible ways to conduct yourself as a human, as a Christian. I like it a lot. So quick review. It's my first close. I'm really tired of Christians being known for what they don't like. I'm just over it. I, I don't, I'm not doing one more march about what I don't like. You know why? Because what I do like and what I do believe in is so much more powerful than what I don't like and what I don't support. I believe in hope. That's kind of epic, you know? I believe in salvation. I believe in eternity. These are things that are just monumentally powerful. Ava? Your grandma is talking. I believe in just these incredible things of God that are for the soul. Forgiveness. Those are things we believe in. We believe in destiny. We believe God puts a purpose on somebody's life. Why not talk about that? Let's talk about the things of God and take over the earth. Let's make Jesus famous again in the earth today. That's what we're called to. And I'm just... I'm over it. We need a reset. We need a fresh fire. We need something to come. You know, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit again. We need a fresh fire of God to come and wash all that debris that just sticks on us. Would you baptize us again in the Holy Spirit, Father? Holy Spirit, would you get in the middle of this and have your way? Would you come? I believe you. Would you give me evidence of your presence by speaking in tongues, by worshiping you, God, by healing, by words that are prophetic in their utterance? Would you, would you bless this entire room with that kind of a gift? That's who we're supposed to be, you guys. And that's when our attitude gets a reset, when we let the Holy Spirit come in. I was telling you earlier, you know, that I had that. I had that thing on me where I was just so moody and just so out of control. And I, I thought it was, you know, cute and cool that I was rebellious until the Holy Spirit came in. Anything that I've overcome, I know a lot of times I'll, I'll preach and I'll, I'll share things like this, and people will come back to me and, and tell me that you're saying that like I'm just supposed to have some kind of grit, like just do it, like Nike. And there is some of that. There is some of that. You have to partner with the Holy Spirit. But the only successes I have are because I let the Holy Spirit come in and be the master. And I let him baptize me with fire. And I trust him to do it every single time that I need him to. It's not by my authority or power, but his, that we're able to cast down imaginations, that we're able to overcome any kind of stronghold of the enemy and anything that he might put in our mind, any, any thought that acknowledges itself against the power of God, I'm able to bring that down because of his power, not because of mine, okay? So here's a quick review. The mind is where your thoughts are formed. Form good thoughts. 
The mind is where thoughts linger, only linger on good thoughts. You've got a ton of scriptures to back that up. Number two, the mood is ordered by circumstance, circumstance, but it's controlled by the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. You know, no, don't fake it till you make it. Put some faith on your situation. Wash your face, get dressed, and go out and represent the Lord. If you need a, if you need a day, take it, baby. Just don't take it on Facebook. And don't take it in front of me, okay? Number three, the attitude displayed outwardly. That pulls from internal things. What you're thinking on, what your mind is meditating on, is going to be reflected in your attitude. So here's my second close. And the little, little taster for this book that's coming up, um, Erwin McManus's book, The Genius of Jesus, he talks about this, this quote, it's absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then he debunks the quote by saying that's not true because God is absolute power and he's incorruptible. And he talks about how he's from South America and how his, you know, how his leadership is always in a dictator. It's always a dictator. All, the president is always a dictator. And all the people have riots and they rebel and then they overthrow the government and then another dictator rises. And it's just historically, that's how it is. You know Why? Because when you have power and you have authority, you demonstrate who you already were once you stand up and use it. So here's another question for you. If you had absolute authority over this country, you were a decision-making factor, what would you do to change it? And before you start spouting off your right or left sides, would it be something that would be actually for the good of the American people that you govern? Or would it be self-centered and self-motivated? Because that'll tell you whether you're following after God or you're following after your own desires. And your attitude will reflect those things. What if you were just in charge of this city and you had authority over this city? What would you change? And what would you do? Because it reflects what's already on the inside of you, what you would do. And I can even make it real simple for you. What if you had authority over your own home and your own house? What would you do to change it? And why? Because you do, right? Man, that's good stuff right there. Now, on one hand, you can't have a lorded over people mentality. You can't make people do what your will is. You can't do that. I'm talking about you and yourself. You have authority over principalities and rulers of darkness that sometimes, you know, try to come against people. That's we're getting. We're getting into our next messages. They're going to be good. But you also can't have a shrink back in fear or timidity attitude. Because I think those of us who are more passive or maybe, I was going to say kinder, but that's not really it. You're just more passive, you know, peaceful, the peacemakers want to point at the aggressive people and say, don't lord it over me. And the people who are lording it over want to say, can you do something? Can there be some fire? Can you have some approach to godliness? Can you, can you make something happen? That's good. And, it, and it, if it can land on a place of peace in the middle, man, that would be so powerful. It would be such a balancing act. It would be profoundly noticeable to the world around us. Would you guys stand up with me? <sighs> Father God, would you open our eyes to the things that you're trying to do in this, in this time that we live in? God, we thank you that we were born for such a time as this. God, of all the people of all of history and all of the future that have been born and are being born. We are born for this time right here. We trust your appointment 
God, God, would you help us to look away from, you know, outside voices and look to you and try to, try to listen to what you're saying to us, God, that we might make a mark on this world for good, for your glory in these days and for the people that we love. In the name of Jesus, and God, I pray protection over everyone in this room, in the spirit of God, that as we, as we dive in in these next few weeks to spiritual authority, God, it's going to be hard, and I know that, but I know that you have set your seal upon us, and we can do it, and we will, and we will come out golden, God, and we will come out fit for the master's use. Thank you for your spirit in this room. And you guys, I know everybody in here, you know, probably would say that they're a Christian. I don't know. But I just want to take a minute in this time right before we go to lunch. And could you just give your heart and your life to Jesus right now, anew, again? And we're going to pray a prayer together. If you've never prayed it before, it's all congratulations on the day. The day where you made a mark and you said, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to start to live for you, God. God, I don't want the old life. I want a new life. I want to be born again in this life. And your prayer prayer goes like this. Father God, I need you. Would you come in my life? Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you make me new? I give my life to you. I make you the master of me. Amen. You guys, it's not the only prayer you're ever going to pray to God, but it's a first prayer, and it's a good one. And if you've prayed that prayer a thousand times, and you said it and you meant it again today, I believe God is going to renew in you a heart for him. I love you. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of The Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with The Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.